0: I really had to reflect on that and say, you know, at the end of the day, this is my life and I cannot live my life on fear. I cannot make decisions based on fear because, I mean, that's going to lead to regret. How I feel is that we are all given skills and gifts. I don't want to ever feel that I didn't do something because of somebody's opinion or because I was afraid or because I was trying to please people
1: thank you so much for joining us today can you please tell us your name where you're from your current location and if you have a business name it
0: thank you wanda and uh hello friends my name is delphine vacunta um i am a humanitarian by profession i consider myself a pan-african optimist um, and in my free time, I like to travel and I write about my travels around the African continent um, on my Instagram page called The Very Delphine. Um, and so that's what I do. So tell us how travel was introduced to you. Sure. Um, so I am originally from Cameroon, I should have mentioned. Um And my family relocated from Cameroon to the United States when I was about 13. Um, And while I was in Cameroon, we traveled inside the country quite a bit. Uh, My dad was um, a journalist, and so we moved around quite a bit. Um, And just growing up, my father traveled quite a bit um, around the world. Um, He was a professor, he's a teacher, um, so he had a lot of opportunities to travel around. And also we just, um, he's a, because he's a teacher, (laughs) we, uh, grew up with a lot of books in my home. And so reading was a huge thing for us at home. Um, so I just got exposed to the world through literature and, um, I guess that's kind of where my, uh, my excitement for travel began, um, really is from hearing stories from my dad, talk about his travels, um, to Nigeria, to France and all these places, and then literally forcing us to read. And, um, when I say force us, you know, it it was literally like, you're not going out to play, you're going to sit and read and write a summary of what you read. (laughs) So, um, we really, my siblings and I got to, ex, you know, be exposed to the world, um, again, through literature and through, um, storytelling for my, from my dad who traveled quite a bit. So that's kind of how I got introduced into travel. And, um, so I would say maybe when I, when I, in high school, I also was, um, very, a very active, I think, high schooler. And so I, was always, I think, because of the, the early childhood upbringing and the way I was raised um, by my parents, I just became very interested in other cultures and underst- trying to understand other people and where they came from and stuff like that. So when we first moved to the, to, um, I think part of the reason actually as well is that when we moved to the United States, we moved to a very small town, a predominantly white town um, in, in uh, the Midwest. And so when I moved here, I ended up being one of two black kids in a school of 500. So that was a very traumatic, I think, experience coming from Cameroon where, you know, a very homogenous society and all of that. So, um, when we moved, I being the only, you know, one of two black kids, I automatically, I think just had an affinity for like other kids who look different or like Seem like they look different and were non white. Um, and so I began just building friendships like that. And then when I went to high school, you know, we had a plethora of like clubs to join, international clubs and things like that. So I became very interested in those types of things. Um, so I got to meet a lot of people from different backgrounds um, that way. And I guess I just, I think that paired with my, with like kind of the literature background, I just became very interested in wanting to see the world and do different things. Um, and then when I went to college, I, that, I think that, that passion just kind of grew and I began to do similar things. Um, and I shouldn't mention actually in high school, I decided to start taking language classes. I took French, I took Spanish, um, uh, just to, again, I think just (laughs) the affinity for like different things and different cultures. Um, in college, I began traveling during spring breaks. I, um, Began volunteering for like international clubs, uh, refugee type uh, um, uh, uh, social clubs or volunteer clubs and things like that. So um, it, it grew from childhood and just kind of developed from there um, throughout my my studies and um, my high school and college career.
1: Did your parents have a conversation with you about the difference in cultures and how to manage this abruptness because 13 is maybe the worst age.
0: <laughs> Absol- it might Absolutely. Just be
1: the absolute worst age to make that kind of transition. Yes.
0: It really is. Um, so, and the funny thing is, I don't think they really prepared us for that. Um, the, just the cultural shock. Um, and I would say, and it's not a knock on my parents, I love my parents to death, but I think that they, Um, my dad is, I would say my dad is a complete Pan-Africanist. Like he believes in, you know, he's, I I would say he considers himself a Pan-Africanist. So he, I think growing up, we had, he, he subconsciously had negative, um, because of his own lived experiences as well. I think he kind of had negative experience. He lived in France for a long time and he had very traumatic experiences there. we are talking about the 60s, 70s, or rather the 70s, 80s, you know, where I think, you know, the black, you know, black movement was not really a thing yet, and I think, you know, being a black person, being accepted in those in those spaces was um, was not where it is today. Even though we know that today it's it's still a bit problematic. Um, so I think he 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 had a lot of traumatic experiences, and so when he spoke of his experiences, it was very negative. Um, you know, when I reflect on it now, you know, at the time I was kind of like. You know, and enamored by, like, you know, what he had gone through and, you know, just think, wow, you lived in France and all of this. But for him, I think he had a lot of negative experiences. And so when he shared his experiences, um, in retrospect, when I think about it now, I think some of it was negative in terms of, like, um, the culture experiences that he had. So... For me, I think coming to America, while it was super exciting, I didn't really know what to expect at 13. I'm just like, listen, I'm trying to live my best life as a teenager um, in Cameroon. And you guys are abru—abrupting me from my friends and everything that I know. Um, So we didn't really have a conversation to prepare us. um, And especially coming to the Midwest as well, uh, which I think is a very... I mean, where we're moving to was a predominantly white environment. we moved in the middle of winter. I We had never seen winter. We moved in September. It was like October, actually, and it was snowing. So I don't think my parents, I don't know. I think they had like this assumption that we would just like acclimate, which we did, obviously. But um, I don't think they really, they prepared us enough for that experience. Um, I think, I don't know. I think that was an oversight on their part. But um, yeah, definitely a difficult time, I think, as a teenager and also going to this space. I think they had built a community of people who really cared for them and they were really nice. And, you know, so I don't, I don't think they really thought about like the effects on the, on us, you know, that much. Cause they're just like, we have this great community of white people who, you know, were nice and they were, you know, they're really caring. Um, so I don't think they really thought of like the implications on teenagers, for example, and what that would mean for us specifically. Um, but we, I mean, you know, we dealt with it. We, we got with the program <laughs> after some time, but yeah, initially it was very, very difficult, um, being in that space and being different and kids treating you differently because they had never, some of them had never seen a black person before, you know, and you can imagine all the thing all the things you think about, you know, they're like, you're from Africa, you know, do y'all live on trees? You know, can I touch your skin? All that type of stuff, that, all of that stuff. I went through that. Um, but I, I, it's a learning. It's definitely a learning curve. That's for sure, <laughs> to say the least. It's a learning curve for sure. What What do you think helped you to get through that? Um, you know, fortunately, so we lived in that small town for um about two, for two years. So I did seventh and eighth grade there, and then we moved to um the capital city, in the state. Um, and it was it's it was a bit more diverse. So that was just a two year experience, and. Um, fortunately for me I come from a family we're incredibly close and I think we just kind of supported each other Um, and also like I said there were uh, in my in my class um, there were there was another black kid and my family like we bonded with them and we know we would um, uh, our families would meet regularly I think just to talk about like our shared experiences once my parents realized like oh my gosh like the kids are going through a difficult time you know Um, we had that kind of shared experience and we bonded over that. So that was a great support. Um, and I also had really great tea, some great teachers. Uh, I remember one particular teacher who was very conscious and aware of these types of, you know, like the racial stuff. And she made an extra effort, (laughs) I think, to reach out and like, just be there and just be, um, of like a little guardian angel during that time so that was super helpful but also i think my my family is just very close and we talked about the things that we went through so that was really helpful but after we moved to the capital city um that really helped a lot because there were a lot it was a bit more diverse there were more people who looked like me and so the challenges became different um and yeah so so that the experience became better i think over time but um being in that small town was a two year two year experience which um i think we just kind of trooped through um through family support and and um a couple of good i would say guardian angels throughout along the way
1: and you talked about the book reports that your dad had you do do you remember mm-hmm.
0: any of those books oh my gosh I don't remember the books exactly, but um, so he's a poet and he writes a lot of poetry. So he made us read a lot of his poetry, of course, Um, (laughs) but also just a lot of different poetry around like from different countries. Um, I can't even remember the anthologies that we read, but it was just like. I just remember we, we had like literally like six bookshelves of, of books in the house, like biographies, Oprah's biography, Mandela's biography, um, Colin Powell's biography. And like my dad, he, I'm like, listen, we're 13. Like I'm not giving some children's books. But no, my, my dad is strict. So um, he would give us like hard books. And, you know, he was, he was like strict, strict. Like you read a book, if there's like a big word in it and you don't know it, he'll make you go look it up in the dictionary <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think one of the cool things about that experience is that um, out of that, like he would make us literally write. And one of our assignments for like per week, I, I think it was like per week. It was like, we would have to write a poem. And we did that for, I would say like, yeah, for until I went to high like second year my sophomore year in high school when I like became a teenager and rebelled, but um we wrote for like I would say like three years. We had to like produce something every week. And the cool thing my dad did with that though, he published he like submitted some of our poems to some publishing houses. Um so I can proudly say today that I'm a, I'm a published poet, not by my choosing necessarily. I'm grateful for it though, <laughs> but, um, he sent it to some publishing houses. So I'm published in, um, some of my poems are published. I have three poems that are published, one in South Africa, one in the States and one in the UK. Um, and I don't even remember the names of the, the pub, all the three, uh, anthologies, but he submitted our poetries and some of them are published. So. Um, kudos to my dad for that but at the time it was not fun <laughs> at all as a teenager you, all you want to do is like hang out with your friends and stuff like that my dad's like nope how's that gonna make you a better person in the future I'm like um I'm gonna have fun but he's like nope you're gonna write
1: <laughs> and where is your mom in all of this she was just like yes my mom, you,
0: you, you literally <laughs> get
1: them together
0: you, you know black mothers I mean she she is I mean she was like Uh, My mom, she worked a lot um, when we were kids. So she, my mom was always working, um, holding down the house and, you know, just being a boss mom. Um, But she, I mean, she was very supportive of whatever my dad said, I think. Because I think at the end, because as coming from Cameroon, um, the reason why we moved is like they wanted us to have a better education. They wanted us to have a better life. And like, I would say, like many people from a lot of developing countries, they believe that education is the key to success and is the key to having a better life. So for them, it was like anything educational, yup, it's the right thing to do. And it's the best thing to do. So they always advocated for that in any way that they could. So they were both very um, supportive of us, you know, doing anything educational. They were both like, yup, do it. (laughs) It's going to help you in the future. And indeed it did. Um, but you know as young kids you don't always see what's best for you at the time and that's why parents are there um to help you along that journey so I'm super grateful for them for that yeah
1: it seems to have impacted your current love for poetry like on your Instagram you leave quite a few poems (laughs) as captions
0: yes um it's funny you notice that um I didn't even because it came to a point where like I so I did a little bit of like slam poetry in high school. But I think because my I think my dad kind of forced it too much. Uh, I would say it almost made me not want to write anymore. Um, like in high school, I was just like, I'm not like I'm not I'm not like I just didn't want to have anything to do with writing. Also, because I think I was just kind of like I wanted to find something that was really like that I chose. And that was my identity that I, you know, I willingly wanted to do and that ended up being dancing. Um, That's a whole nother thing. But I, yeah, I, I, I think it was just so forced on me that it came to a point that I was just like, I don't want it. Like, I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't enjoy it because it felt like a chore almost. Um, And again, I just wanted to explore something that was really for me. And that's something that, I chose by myself. So, yeah, that ended up being dance. I started a dance, um, a dance group in high school, an African, like a, a West African dance uh, group. So I, I I taught that for throughout my high school career, um, and th- through college, I did that for for many years. So that's one of my things that I absolutely love to do um, is to teach to teach um, traditional West African dancing
1: and the modeling <laughs> where did that come into
0: oh <laughs> um it's funny um i i don't consider myself a model uh, but i just always liked photography i think Girl, and stop. I'm an- <laughs> wanda listen listen, listen let let me tell okay. you i really i really don't i really don't consider myself i think i I love, I love photography. I love modeling. Um, it's something that a lot of people have mentioned to me, you know, Oh, you know, you should do it. But I've, I guess I've never taken it seriously. And I think, unfortunately to be, if I'm just being honest, I think that's a product. The reason I haven't taken it seriously is a product of my environment. I think growing up in a predominantly white environment where you're the only one you don't, I mean, I didn't even know like that was a thing that I could explore you know and I didn't know that you know I didn't have I don't know I just didn't have the access to to the information about being a model and you know I think just growing up in that environment like seeing just whiteness all over um didn't encourage me um at all and also I don't even I don't think I've explored that because I don't think that's something my parents would have encouraged because it wasn't quote-unquote educational um so no, I, but, I, but I just, I'm a, i am I think I'm just an, I'm an art seeper. I consider myself a very artistic person. Um, I love photography. I love, um, I mean, now I'm relearning to love writing again. I love dancing. I love anything really artistic expression. Um, but modeling is something I don't know. I just, I, I think I'm photogenic, but it's not like something that I'm like, Ooh, I'm a model. Nah, I, I love to take good photos. Yeah. But, not a model model. <laughs> not a not a model like that.
1: I wish um, you could see me side-eyeing yes. you right now. You just said you think, oh my
0: gosh. You think you're
1: photogenic. <laughs> okay, okay, Delphine.
0: Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. But thank you. I appreciate uh-huh. the compliment. Um <laughs> no I'm I'm like I'm, i wish you could see it. I'm I'm looking blushing a little, but i a few people have told me that. And I, it's, it's something that I'm like, dang, I wish I would have, you know, like I would have explored that further. Um, I guess it's not too late, but, um, I don't know. There, there are a million other things that I'm interested in now. And I don't know that that's one of the ones I'm super passionate about, but, but thank you. I appreciate the compliment.
1: You did bring up something that I think is interesting and that is how do I phrase it? So I think it may be like first generation, where whatever mm-hmm. country the parents move to that that first generation that grows up there i think that there's an expectation and a pressure to not mm-hmm. entertain things that are not financially lucrative yes so a lot of the audience that listens to this podcast is in america but you know there's a sprinkling everywhere right But the ones Mm -hmm. who respond to, you know, have an online business and, you know, do something sustainable and like travel the way you want to travel tends tends to be from America. They don't Mm -hmm. tend to be from anywhere else. And I think that that is a, I think that that is symptomatic of the environments that we grew up in. Not necessarily that Black American parents are like, yeah, girl, (laughs) quit your good paying job. (laughs) They're not. But yeah. I think that there's yeah. less, there's less pressure there. There's less conversation around it. There's there's less, I don't know, cultural expectations. I I I haven't like busted out. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I think. I mean, you'll hear people joke a lot. At least for like West Africans, you know, they the you know people say a lot like. If you're not a medical doctor, if you're not a you know a a a lawyer or something like you know those professional careers, you're you're considered a failure. And um, in my experience, that's been, at least in looking at the experiences of my 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 friends around me, that's been true. I think for me, I've been, um, I would say for myself, I've been lucky in the sense that my parents have been very clear about we want you to be successful, um, in whatever that means to you and. But they've, I think, because my parents, my dad especially, like saw the world. Um, he had a different understanding of what success meant. Absolutely, he knew like he pushed the message of like education and like making sure that you you know you have the highest quality. Like he, for him, it was like if you're gonna be a painter, you you need to be the best possible painter you can you can absolutely be. Um, but I think generally speaking, that is definitely an attitude that. Um, I would say a lot of people, particularly not from America, have uh, because, uh, you know, I I, there's I think there's especially people who come from, I would say, quote quote, unquote, developing countries. It's like there is this perception that success is defined by, you know, the, the, the amount of money that you have and the amount of money that you have is closely often correlated in people's minds with the types of jobs that you have. Um, so, for example, someone is not gonna say I'm gonna be, you know, a plumber, for example, um, because people just don't see that it's a lucrative thing. We're, although that plumber could be making eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year. So I, I, think, and I, and I think that's that's an element of um, Western socialization, and you know, this whole um, I think Western influence on these countries, which we know these western countries still have a lot of stronghold in a lot of these de- developing countries so i think it's part of that like media tr- like the 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 messaging trickling down from you know just like we have these messages about beauty standards and all that there's also these messages about career and what is you know what is considered like an upstanding job and all of these types of things so th- that perception is very pervasive in these environments because you know people are looking at you know, what only the things that they see on media, you don't see people, you know, like a janitor on television being, you know, hailed as like, you know, a successful person or a very, you know, somebody who's made in life. You don't see those images. You see business people you see. And so those are the, those are the messages that these, you know, these communities receive. And that's, that's all that, they, they, they can refer to really right and i think america is often seen as this aspirational um uh, uh a country and whatever america does and whatever you know they see on, on 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 in the media is what people aspire to and so i think with that that's that that's where that comes from but i think i think ho- positively i think that is shifting now i think with the expansion of technology and social media and people seeing that, you know, yes, you can be a travel blogger, for example, and make a lot of money. I think some of those ideas are shifting, even in these immigrant communities where um, parents, I think, have have historically had these notions of what success means and what careers are uh, linked to that. I think it's 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 shifting now also because I think generation X, Y, and Z are also pushing the envelope and saying, no, I don't need to be a lawyer to be successful. I can do A, B, C, and D as long as I'm the best at it, or I'm really great at it. I can make money. Um, and I think parents also understanding that now there are different platforms and a multitude of platforms on how to make money. Um, they're, 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 those notions are shifting. And I think as the generations, as you said, now that it's shifting from like first gen, gen to like second gen that those notions are, sh- are shifting a bit. Uh, but I also think it's also just a privilege of, um, for Americans. I think when you're in this country, you know, you're told you can be whatever you want to be. You can grow up and do whatever you want to do. Uh, whereas I think in some of these immigrant communities, you're told, no, you, you I mean, not necessarily, like, no, you can not be whatever you want to be, but you're going to be a doctor because that's what success means. Um, but again, I think those notions are shifting, which I think is a good thing because I mean, in today's society, there's so much information. There's so much access to technology to do a million and one things. So I think, I think we're moving in a, in a positive direction. I think gradually, um, but hopefully we'll get to a place where people can really feel like they can do whatever it is that they want to do and, you know, still live a quality life, even though it may not be making a million dollars a year which is very okay. We all don't need to be millionaires.
1: I'm really curious about that idea that all Americans receive that same messaging because this is where nuance mm-hmm. comes into place, right? So it's like, well, yeah. what, what message do Black Americans get? So, so that is right. something, <laughs> yeah, that's a conversation I definitely am interested in exploring you, you'd you written a post, um, you said recognizing more and more that it takes tremendous amount of guts, badassery and sacrifice to truly pursue our heart's desire and live the life of our dreams. The thing is we make excuses, at times valid ones for why we can't, won't, shouldn't go after what we want. But valid or not, an excuse is just that. Let's go boldly in the direction of our dreams, find a way, find a solution, do what we must, Fight for the life we want because this very moment will never repeat itself. We only live once, and as much as we take it for granted, tomorrow is not promised.
0: I wrote that. I think I was really inspired that day. <laughs> <laughs> so this was two years no, I'm ago. I'm just kidding. Yes. Um I think two years yeah. ago. That was in twenty eighteen. But like a lot, yes, a, think... lot posts, mm-hmm. a lot of
1: your posts a lot of your posts lend or like lean towards this idea it seems like there's something inside of you that Mm -hmm. is trying to unlearn and trying to learn at the same time something inside of you that is trying to see and be seen Mm
0: -hmm. absolutely yeah um you 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 capture that very well i think um I'm definitely I'm I feel like I'm in a space of constantly um, learning and' unlearning. Um, and I think when I reflect back in 2018 uh, like I said I, I don't I don't know if I mentioned but I work um, internationally and um, in very high risk environments and I think in 2018 I was at a point where I was really questioning because my career path while it's been I would say it would be considered, quote-unquote, a successful career. Um, it's a very big uh, uh, organization I work for. Um, so I think in the public, I would consider very successful. Um, but it was at a, in 2018, I was at a point where, actually, I should say, before I, took on this, before I took on my job, I always knew I wanted to work internationally. But before I took on the job I took on um, in working in South Sudan, My family was excited because of the organization and I had really, really busted my butt to, um, to get to that, to get to that place and to be able to have that opportunity. I I mean, I literally like moved to New York by myself in the middle of winter, trying to figure it out. So I did that. And so they were very proud of me for getting this opportunity and stuff. But at the time they really didn't want me to go to this country because it's a war country. It was a war torn country. And, Um, You know, it, it was a scary, it was a scary thing for them. And I did that for two years. And in 2018, I was really at a point where I was having this very difficult conversation with myself about what it was that I wanted to do with my life. And if the career I was in was something that I wanted to continue, or if I wanted to move in another direction. And at the time I was like, really, it was about whether I stay in that country or if I move on to another country um, in a different role. And I decided to go to a different country, um, because I wanted to expand, I think my knowledge of international affairs. And I wanted to, um, uh, also just, I mean, I was young in my career and I wanted to like forge a different path in my career that would be something that I, I, you know, I could create my own niche really. And so in 2018, I, it was a really difficult year for me, I remember, because I, it was a difficult decision, one, to leave um, the country that I was in because, I, I mean, it was familiar, right? It was what I, I had known, and it was the first country that I'd been in with this organization. Um, but also, again, my family didn't really want me to go to the country that I wanted to go to because it was another war-torn country. And again, I think just the fear. And I remember thinking during that time, that this was something that I really wanted to do. And I knew the career path that I wanted to take. But because I'm very close with my family and I value their opinion a lot, I was at a point where it was like, they wanted me to move back home and be in the States. But I was like, I want to be, I want to do this international thing for a while. And I want to, you know, I want to forge my own path in my career and do this thing. So I was at a place of conflict. And I, I just remember thinking like, if I continue to do, because I I I had always felt like I had always done the things that my family wanted me to do, um, as the good African daughter. I feel like I, you know, I'd always, you know, been on that path. It's like doing the things that are expected of you, um, taking risks. I think my family was lenient in a way. I took a lot of risk. Um, again, like traveling internationally when I was in in college and stuff like that. For me, that that was a big deal because the just being out, given the space to do that. Um, but I was at a point where I was re- I, almost at a crossroads. I was like, do I come back home and be with my family, be closer to my family? Or do I just, you know, continue to do this career path thing that many people in my family don't really agree with. And, you know, they're fearful and getting these kind of mixed messages. And so I really had to reflect on that and say, you know, at the end of the day, this is my life and I cannot live my life on fear. I cannot make decisions based on fear. Because I mean, that's, I'm, that's going to lead to regret. And I don't, what, how I feel is that we are all given skills and gifts, right? And I really, I don't want to ever feel that I didn't do something because of somebody's opinion or because I was afraid or because I was trying to please people. I'm an empath, I'm a people pleaser. So that's, I had to break out of that. And for me, I'm like, I don't want to feel like I'm living a life that is not mine. And that is in service of people that I care about, which they probably have good intentions, but it's not a life that I choose for myself. So for me, that I think that's what that's what it's about. And it was a really scary time it was a scared decision. Um, you know, family, like, just the familiar, like family putting pressure on like, Oh, you know, you're getting close to 30, you know, you need to, come settle and have family also in my, where, my, where I come from, you know, Sam having, being married and having kids, is a huge thing. So it was like, are you going to live that? Are you going to not do that? <laughs> or are you, you know, are you going to go do this international thing, whatever? So it was really a tough decision about, um, uh, not listening to my family and their concerns and really just going for what I felt in my heart was the right thing to do for me for my career, and for the life that I wanted. And I just remember being at a crossroads and thinking like, this is a point where I have to make a couple people unhappy. And for me, that is self-care actually. And this is something that I'm learning now, like self-care sometimes means disappointing people. But if if that's what keeps you at peace with yourself at night, I can sleep at night and say, you know what? I'm proud of the decisions that I made. I'm very okay with that. So, but at that point, I think I'm I'm a little bit far ahead now with my self awareness and self consciousness journey, but at that point, that was a very big decision for me. um, uh, Deciding whether to continue an international life or to um, to kind of submit to my family's request to like move home and you know settle down and all that stuff.
1: You even at one point, uh, this was 2016, had to be evacuated from South Sudan.
0: Yes, we did. Um, when uh, in 2016, a, a conflict broke out in South Sudan in Juba, the capital city where I was working, and we were evacuated to Nairobi. Yeah, which is super scary because <laughs> my family's like, "See, we told you, we told you, come back home." I'm like, "Yeah, it is. It's scary, but you know, just gotta, gotta do what I gotta do." So,
1: yeah. What has enabled you to choose yourself in these moments?
0: What has enabled me to choose myself? Um, I think it's trying... T- I, for me, it's constantly uh, reminding myself of my purpose and trying to align every decision I make with my purpose or what I feel my calling is. Again, I don't want to live... like I don't want to die one day and feel like I didn't like use all the skills that God has given me because I think it is such a privilege and it is such an honor to have the skills that I have. And I don't take it for granted. And I don't say that as a bravado thing or to brag, but I really do feel that I've been given certain skills just like everybody else. And it is my duty to put that to use and to be of service to humanity and to do good in the world using my skills. So I that that's what really grounds me. And just remembering like, yes, you're put on this earth you your parents bring into this world and you have a family and stuff but at the end of the day we are on this earth in in essence sort of by ourselves Um, and we have to for me it's like I just have to do the things that align with what I feel my calling is and I just have to be okay with that and you know the world adjusts you do your thing and the world will adjust people will be disgruntled in a moment or people will be dissatisfied with your with your decisions at times but that is okay My thing is if you can sleep at night and be okay with the decision that you've made, then it's okay it's and then it's okay so for me it's grounding myself in my purpose and what I feel my calling is and it's something I really i I consider myself a very spiritual person so it's something I talk to God about often like any decision I'm gonna make like Okay, let's let's discuss cuz you've put this in my head and it's for a reason. So like I need, you know, give me guidance. It's that's what I always pray about. It's like God, please give me guidance and lead my steps in the direction that you want me to go and let me be of service in the way that you've put me on this earth to be. That is really what grounds me. Um in, in the decisions that I take, it's trying to live a life of purpose and living a life of um, in alignment with what is the calling in my soul, what really speaks to my spirit.
1: What inspired you to write love letters to Africa?
0: Ooh, love letters to Africa is a project that I've been putting on and off, to be honest. Um, but the purpose for that is really my love for my love for Africa. Um, simply put. I don't know how else to say that, but my love for Blackness, my love for Africa as the ancestral home for all Black people. I think, again, when I bring it back full circle, when I moved to the States, I think the rejection of Blackness that I saw in the environments that I was in, the resistance to Blackness really... Again, my dad. I think having a very Pan Africanist parents um, really inspired me to actually to embrace myself and to say, you know, this is my identity. This is who I am. And in any spaces that I've been in, I've always been inspired to share where I come from with people and to inspire people to learn more about Africa, so that you're not people are not asking me ignorant questions like, you know, do y'all climb on do y'all live on trees and stuff like that. So. For me, it was always about inspiring people to travel to Africa and for to show people a different side of Africa, really. Because, as you know, in the media, when you look at you know pictures of of, of travel around Africa, it's always you know pictures of like destitute, poor, you know, poor kids or like sick just negative images and for me coming from cameroon i'm like this is not all there is and that really bothered me i was like this is not like who told you who told y'all that this is all there is so for me it was really about showing a different side of africa and writing expressing my love for the continent um, with other people in hopes that it inspires people to travel africa particularly um, other black people to travel africa because especially in the times that we're in now Which is a project that I'm 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 going to to pick back up because I just feel like in the times that we're in now it is I just feel like it's even more important more than ever it's always been important but more than ever I feel like it is and such an opportune time for Black people around the world the diaspora to really reconnect to our to Africa because that's that's our ancestral home and to to. To to reconnect, because the issues that we're facing around the world, it's it's global. It's not just, you know, when we talk about police brutality in America. It's, you know, you look at history. It has history in, in in South Africa, in Kenya, you know, in Zimbabwe. We're talk we're all talking about police brutality. So I think there's so much that connects us. And I just feel like more than ever, it is such an opportune time for us to connect as as black people globally. And I think part of that comes with exploring who we are from the origin and that starts from, 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 from Africa. So love letters, I think love letters to Africa was, um, uh, in two parts one. Yeah. Just express my love for the continent, but also to inspire people, especially black people to travel Africa. Um, and I think more than ever, that's, that's more important. And, (laughs) I don't know if you've seen this, this new documentary recently, um, the social dilemma. And, you know, they talk about like how they fear that the use of social media and, and, uh, how the use of social media might, you know, like might trigger the worst that it could do is like trigger a civil war. And, you know, even in the wake of George Floyd, for example, and I was just thinking like all these things happen in the U S right now, it just got me thinking like, what is the worst that could happen? And like, how can we make, I don't know, like how can, like if worse comes to worse and people are like, I'm, you know, I need, like people are going to want to go somewhere else and not be in the United States, for example, just hypothetically, you know, what, what is that place going to be? And I've always thought, of course, for black people, I'm sure some people are going to want to reconnect to the continent because perhaps, you know, that makes sense. And so I've always been thinking about, like, how do we talk about travel to Africa be beyond just like, oh, let me go visit Africa. But how can we make it a lucrative, you know, make the con- how can the, the leadership in the, con- in, uh, in the continent um, make it a lucrative environment for people to come and want to stay long term and, for example, have vacation homes in Africa? Because when people talk about vacation homes, they always talk about Europe and all of Europe or Southeast Asia, I don't know, all these other places, which is fine. But I've always been inspired by like the thought of how can we make Africa um attractive for black people to say, "You know what I want to explore this because this is this is my origin, and this is where I would you know this is an option for me to consider if I want to you know have a vacation home somewhere or if I want to go stay long term for example um so making that reconnect and also making it attractive for um, uh, black people around the world to say how." how can i explore my my ancestral home and be and you know want and make it attractive for them to want to go home and want to explore all of that so um in short that's that's that these many questions i think that have been kind of boiling in my mind and i'm just trying to express that through my personal travels and what i see and how i see um travel around the continent and maybe actually just to say, I don't know if people maybe your audience already knows, but there are there is a program called Birthright Africa that grants um, uh, African Americans in the United States specifically only I think right now um, uh, trips to Africa to like an exploratory an exploratory trip um, to the continent, I think for first time travelers um, just to understand ancestry and all of that so just, it's a, it's a, it's a mix of all these interesting questions that I think, um, different people are having in different spaces. Um, and, um, yeah, I just wanted to express that through my own, my own lens. Um, I, there's another organization, Tastemakers Africa, that does a fantastic job of, um, planning trips for people who want to explore the continent, um, uh, for us, by us. So, just a few things for people to explore if they're interested in all of that. But yeah, that's kind of the, the origin of my love letters to Africa.
1: What would you say to how Africans are treated within Africa? Like you made a post about this a few years ago.
0: How Africans are treated within, oh, um, I think in the, in the, like in the travel space, it's been interesting. Um, I think it really depends. Uh, I think, Oh, that's a big question. Because for me, in my experiences, it's been very frustrating, I would say, um, at least in the travel space and like in the tourism industry. Um, you often find that, especially in like big establishments um, across many, and for me, this has been true when I've been to Morocco, when I've been to Senegal, um, when I've been to Tanzania sometimes is that big establishments there's there's like this um there's this preference or preferential treatment i would say sometimes of non-africans right so um these establishments that more often than should or more often than not um are owned by non-africans on the continent which to me is mind. i mean it's mind blown by the same time it's not right like a lot of these big establishments, like in the tourism industry, like the big hotels the big restaurants are not owned by africans and sometimes you'll find that when you go to these places they treat Africans with a certain they treat a certain you know in a different way than they would treat um other people particularly non white and i think part of that is it's it's not coincidental and it's not accidental like i think it has a lot to do with, like, the historical, again, like, the, the, I think, <laughs> and I don't want to make this, like, a whole, like, I don't know, political discussion, but there's this historical element of how Africans see themselves on the continent and the history of, like, colonialism and all of that. And I think part of that has, um, there there's still lingering uh, influences of that, including, like, Due to what we see on constantly see being uh, portrayed on the media, um, in terms of like whitewashing, really. Um, I mean, you walk, you go on the content, you still see like billboards of like you know skin bleaching and like how you know being how you should lighten your skin to be closer to whiteness and stuff like that. Like those things are still very prevalent, and so I think these ideologies of like. Whiteness being better um, and and all of that is very pervasive. So sometimes when you travel on the continent, you'll see that in how um, Africans, even people who work in these big establishments, Africans will treat other Africans like I've been to places in Sierra Leone, for example, where I go to like a um, a Lebanese restaurant, and of course it's Lebanese owned, but it's uh, Sierra Leoneans who work there, and you know they. I've been barred from going into the restaurant and they can't give you an explanation. There's no explanation for why I'm not allowed to enter into a restaurant. I can't, I can't think of any reason why besides the fact that, you know, they're literally, I don't know if it's like, they have a quota for how many Africans can be in the establishment or what, but you know, you have these experiences where like they are just not kind or not as inclusive of Africans in, in some of these spaces. So um, I, I don't remember what I posted, but I think that was one of my frustrations when I began to realize like this was really a thing, especially in the, like, the bigger tourism industry. It's like there is a preferential treatment for non-Africans while on the continent. And for me, it's so mind blowing because it's like you're on the African continent. It's Black people. It's Africans. like we need to learn to treat each other better and we need to learn to, you know, appreciate what we have and who we are as people you know just just as just the way we treat like foreigners i like i that it's, it's a psychological thing that i think we on well, not say at least in the tourism industry we need to work on um not even just in the tourism industry just generally like this idea of like appreciating our blackness and um celebrating our blackness i think we're in a time where the, you know, this movement, you know, Beyonce's Black is King and, you know, Wakanda and all of this, it's great. Um, But, you know, it needs to go further, I think, somehow in just helping us to see ourselves better in a better light and to celebrate each other. And so for me, that's why when I travel, I, it's, I I really always try to to seek out like local things um, that are, run by Africans and, you know, um, are, you know, they, they celebrate Blackness. If I feel like I, you know, a space is not celebratory of Black people, I most likely will not go there. And so oftentimes when I travel, I love luxury. I love, you know, but I also love local things because I think that's the best way you get, you know, the the real authentic experience anyway. So when I travel personally, I like to seek out local experiences um, because I think it bring, it just brings you closer to, the people and it makes your travel more authentic and more, uh, real than just, you know, staying at a, I don't know, four or five star hotel where you're going to, you can do that anywhere else in the world. Like I could do that in Chicago. I could do that in New York. Um, so for me, local experiences are better. And also just to support, I think some of these local places that probably don't get as much, um, attention as these big establishments. Cause it's like, you know, these big million dollar, um, places and people that come on the continent and just make money. Um, yeah. You shared a bit about
1: what helps to keep you grounded. Would you also share, please, your self care practices?
0: Sure. Um, oh, this one has been my, I feel like my self care practice has been evolving and it changes over time. But I think recently, um, especially with everything that is happening, um, in the States right now, I have been very conscious about kind of my, my mental health and, um, just kind of dealing and healing with healing from I think the traumatic uh, experience of living through um, a racially um, tense period. Um, so for me, it's really been about meditation. Um, it's really been about prayer. Um, so normally, I think when I wake up, I meditate, I say my prayer, and I get my workout in. Staying active has been super helpful for me. Um, endorphins will do your life good. <laughs> um, get those happy genes in the morning. Um, so yeah, it's meditation, it's um, prayer, it's exercising. Um, and just, I think just um, eating healthy, I think is my, is my self-care. And I, as I mentioned earlier, dancing a lot has been part of my, part of my exercise routine, um, which has been super helpful as well. Um, but yeah, I think this season, my self-care has really been about mental, mental health, making time for myself, um, to journal. I journal quite a bit, um, just to get my thoughts down and to center myself. Um,
1: yeah. What do you think has helped you to face the challenges that you've had along the way?
0: Hmm. Along my journey, I think, um, My spirituality has been huge, again, I think, in just making me realize or, yeah, keeping me balanced. I think spirituality for me has been key, but also just my personal self-awareness and self-consciousness journey has been um, really, really impactful. Um, There's a book I really love um, by Eckhart Tolle called The Power of Now. I read that book often um when I feel kind of lost in the world. Um and if you haven't read it, it's it's basically the whole concept is like living in the present and living in the now because you know, the past is the past, the future is unpredictable and we don't you you can't infu- you, you can influence the future, but only through like the actions that you decide to take. But the idea is basically like living in the present now because that's the only thing that you have is living in the now. Um in this current moment. Um, that I don't, that uh, understanding that and understanding the idea of like the pain that we feel or the confusion or the sadness or, uh, the worrying, the stress is all caused by resistance, resistance to the reality that we're living in now. Understanding that for me has been honestly transformational because it's, it's enabled me to always seek to be in the present, in the present moment. And by being in the present moment, you are like, you're automatically like more grateful. You have a more, um, you're more, I don't know, you, you're more grateful for, for, for what is happening now. Um, so just understand like our suffering, our pain, our like negative feelings, um, are, only like they're caused by resistance to, to the present, and that has really been transformation. So if you haven't read that book, I would really encourage you to check that out. It's called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's really it's it's mind blowing. The concepts in that book is mind blowing, and that's that's really helped me, especially in the last couple of years, to really cent- like center myself and just always practice, like help me practice, um, have an attitude of, of gratitude as well. And just being present, living every moment, like it's my last, um, it's that, that, that whole ideology has really, um, it's really been, been influential for me and it's really helped me, I think, center my life in, in a spirit of gratitude, of graciousness and kindness. Um, so yeah. Do you have
1: any hobbies or interests that aren't about travel?
0: <laughs> yes uh dancing so um i so I used to teach dance class um in the summers like in college and and um even when I work overseas, I like host uh dance classes and stuff so I've been doing that since I've been home I've been doing that um for the community social distance uh classes and just a small group of like 15 people and we social distance in the park. So I've been teaching African dance in the park, which has been super phenomenal. Um, so that's like my one hobby that I really love is yeah. Dancing, teaching, it's teaching dance. That's been my thing. It's my jam. Where did you learn to dance? Um, Hmm. I think my mama gave it to me. (laughs) (laughs) i don't i I,
1: but you did i think you mentioned that you did take dance classes as well i
0: took dance classes yeah in college i took two dance classes um from this super phenomenal dance teacher chris walker um he's like a renowned actually he's world-renowned uh afro-caribbean dance teacher from jamaica um he teaches at uw madison um super amazing instructor so i took two of his classes um but i i don't know I, I think it just always like i always i started dancing like in yeah in middle school my sister and i started uh, performing i don't know where we got it from but i don't know i think it just runs in the family <laughs> um yeah yeah sometimes you just catch the vibe you know, and you, you know you can watch whatever yeah. people do yeah yeah uh
1: when you do travel is there a certain way you like to explore
0: um yes absolutely uh local i like i mentioned earlier i love explain local things, all things local. Cause I just feel like that's how you get the most authentic experiences. Um, that's how you really get to understand the people, the culture, uh, the foods again, like the commercial stuff is great. Like commercial hotels, commercial restaurants are great, but I always find that to really understand like the essence of people, it's engaging with like local people, um, you know, like the community. And so when I travel, I always try to seek out those types of experiences. And I should mention, actually, even though I do travel quite a bit, and I know there's this whole travel, you know, movement now around, you know, solo travel, which is great. uh, But I'm not so much a solo traveler, actually. Um, and I think a lot of people ask me that on my Instagram, like, no, I, I actually, I prefer to go to travel to places where I know at least one person just because I love, I just, I love sharing moments and experiences with like loved ones or people that I really care about. Um, so for me, it's always like one, that's how I travel. Like I seek out places that I know at least one person, or I, I have an acquaintance or somebody. Um, and then, yeah, then seeking out local experiences and stuff like that. That's my favorite thing. That's my favorite way to travel. I, you, you will hardly ever find me go to a place where I don't know somebody, or if I'm traveling, um, if if I'm traveling with a friend like, I'll go to a new country, but like, I I would, I would, I prefer to go with, with somebody that I love and care about (laughs) to travel together to that new place. Um, that's just, that's just how I, I like to explore. The solo travel thing is great, and I I really commend people who do it. Um, but for me, I really enjoy um, sharing moments and experiences with people, with like my people. So yeah, I that's how that's how I travel. But local, local over everything.
1: <laughs> it looks like um, there's one really good bestie that seems to be able to travel with you, or you all are able to travel together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know who she is, but. <laughs> so that's really cool. Because, you know, like yeah. not everybody is able to, first of all, to travel with other people. Yeah. I,
0: yeah. And, you know, that's that's something that I'm really, really grateful for, I think, because I have been um, I have been in a lot of like culturally diverse spaces. I've I've met quite a lot of people who live all over the world. So I think that's a privilege as well to to have been. You know, to go to to have gone to the schools that I've gone to, to have the opportunity to even go to go to college, to go to the school that I went to, and to meet all these people from different places. Like, I can, I can not every country in the world, but almost every country. Like, I I feel like I probably know somebody from the or somebody who knows somebody, which I think is such a privilege, and I'm super grateful for that. But I think that's one of the things that travel is also helps you with, like. You you know it 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 just exposes you to to more people and to to get to meet different people, which is you know it's that's cool because you you always have somebody somewhere you know in the world. Um, So that's that's dope. But yeah, I'm super grateful to have friends who also love to travel and love meeting people and all of that. How do you like to celebrate? Ooh, how do I love to celebrate? You know, hmm. there's nothing like a great bottle of wine. And a dope, you know, dance party, you know, Blackest King just came out, you know. I love having a great, bo- yeah, a great bottle of wine and some great music. That's, that's, and good food, good food, good people, good vibes. That's, that's my, that's my favorite. I love, I love small intimate um, things. So, yeah, definitely always like having like family, uh, not family, um, like dinner parties um with good food and yeah good drinks and good people that's 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 my stuff you talk about the
1: importance of having like-minded people in your circle mm-hmm. how have you been able to find those people
0: hmm i would say it's important to have like-minded people but at the same time it's also important to have people who think differently than you um just because i think it expands you know, I think it's always good to have uh, diversity in ideas as well. And so for me, it's not just been having like-minded people, but also people who think differently from me, um, which, you know, sometimes I think is difficult. Um, but I think it's it's important because uh, I think that's that's part of what the world is missing. And part of the reason why I think the world is in kind of chaos is because we we think we're so different and we think we are... Yeah, we think we're so different, and we focus so much on that that we we don't see the similarities, and we don't see things from other people's perspective or see something from somebody else's point of view. So I think it's it's great to have um, people who think similarly to you, but also people who think differently. And I think for me, finding the people who think similarly to me have just been in investing myself in the things that I like and in the things that um, I'm passionate about, and in doing that, I i mean, inevitably, you're going to meet the people who like, you know, similar things when you when you invest when you immerse yourself in things that you're generally interested in and you're generally passionate about. Um, you're going to meet people that way. Um, so for me, I've really met a lot of my friends through like social clubs, through uh, dance programs or like dance classes and stuff like that. Um, but really anything that I'm really passionate about, I'm probably going to make a friend in because obviously we're in the same space and we came to the same space for probably for, this, for similar reasons. Um, but also just I think I just I would like to just stress that it's important to also seek out people who who think differently than you, because it I think it makes your your circle richer and it makes your it makes you as a person grow as well when you when you're able to exchange ideas and see something from somebody else's perspective, which is what I love about traveling too, by the way. Sorry, I know this is not necessarily about travel um, all the way through, but I think for me, tra- travel has been transformation in that sense because I think again, growing up in a predominantly white environment, a predominantly homogenous environment um, made me always feel like uh, like like, everything was, I don't know, everything was the same, right? Like, but I knew, like, especially, again, because of my parents, like I knew things were different. I knew people lived differently around the world. I knew things, you know, there was a whole different world out there. Um, and being able to travel, for me, has really, ex- like, allowed me to expand that um, side of myself and to, to see that, like, yes, I can go to a different country and people may look different, but at the end of the day, like, we're all human and we we have shared human experiences, right? And focusing on that human experience for me has been, um, has also helped me like shed my ideas and my stereotypes about people and about, um, different groups of people really. Um, and like I mentioned earlier before we started, I think that's, that's a challenge for myself is to explore areas that I haven't explored before, um, around the world. Um, also just to to test out that, that hypothesis of, um, exchanging ideas with, with different people. And like I said, I have a phobia about places that don't celebrate black people. Um, but I'm trying to, that's something I'm working on to expand myself to, to outgrow that.
1: How are you able to outgrow that?
0: Girl, I need to travel. I need to travel to Southeast Asia. (laughs) Um, I think I, 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 yeah, I for, honestly, to be very frank with you, that is one place that I I feel like I have internalized stereotypes that I need to shed and for me to do that, I really do feel like a trip would would help me, would help me um get over some of those fears. I think I just I have I feel like I've just lived in places where I've experienced so much racism that I just, I really just don't have the emotional bandwidth anymore to be in spaces where I feel like I'm going to be treated badly or that I'm going to be made to me feel different. Like I'm over it. I'm, I'm tired of it. I feel like I've lived that for so many years that I'm just like, I'm not going to go to spaces where I I will not be in spaces that I'm not wanted. I will not be in spaces where I'm not celebrated. So That's, that's been my mentality. And I know it's not necessarily always like that. And it's not always, um, that's not a good representation or a good, um, blanket statement to put on certain countries, but that's, that's how I felt. And I, I know it's not correct. And I think a trip really to some of these places that I fear so much will hopefully help me get over that and it's something that i literally i've said to myself i need to travel to some of these spaces to 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 grow and to unlearn so that's a challenge for myself to be very to be to be very frank um yeah
1: and do you have a song lyric or a poem that speaks to you these days
0: Ooh. Listen, the whole "Blackest is King" is super lit. Um, "Black Power" on that album, I mean Beyonce. Oh, I love her. Um, but "Black Power" on that album is it just gets me really motivated. Um, but I also really like "Black" by I think it's Buddy and ASAP Ferg. I don't know. I didn't. Do you know that song? It's just like black, black, black um <laughs> no. my clothes so, my skin's so black hair like uh, I don't know the the full lyrics but it's it's just like it's literally like the black the blackest anthem and it's just like defiance to anti-blackness and I love it because I just again I think I'm I'm personally just hypersensitive to um the current state that we're in in the U.S. and so for me seeing all this like anti-black narrative and like you know this resistance to blackness makes me want to own my blackness even more and that song just really like you have to you you really need to check it out it's like it's it just makes it like yes I'm black and I love it like I yeah so it's it's black by yeah Buddy and A$AP Ferg um, I'm not gonna sing it because I'm gonna butcher the lyrics but yeah I really love that song because it's just like <laughs> yes yes <laughs>
1: And Delphine, I always like to ask guests, how can listeners support your work?
0: Sure. So I, like I mentioned earlier, I am trying to, um, one of, one of the things that I, I been mean, speaking to some friends, um, and one of the things that I think people struggle with in terms of travel, my, my whole thing is I, I think black people, we should explore the world. absolutely and. And also explore Africa because that is our ancestral home. And I think more than ever, that's important. But I find that one of the, the challenges is like people just don't even know where to start. Like there are 54 countries on the continent. Like where do you even begin? Um, and I think in contrast, like contrast to like travel to Europe or Asia, for example, there's so much information out there. There's a plethora of resources and stuff like that. And I think for travel to the African continent, it's not so prevalent and it's not so obvious sometimes. Um, There's a lot of resources out there, there's a lot of information, but I think it's just not readily available for some people. Um, So what I want to do on my platform in the next couple of weeks, actually, is to profile each country on the continent, just to provide some information on... Um, that might be relevant to people who might be wanting to travel uh, just to share information on um, what, what travel to these countries might look like. So um, you can check that out on my page, uh, very Delphine on Instagram. Um, You can, you know, comment, share, like, um, but it's really just to share information for you all. And um, a website will be coming along with that soon. But another more exciting thing I am co uh, founding a an organization called Forward, which is a multimedia platform, which seeks to um, serve post-college underrepresented professionals who yearn to create a life of purpose and joy. And on that platform, we have authentic conversations and invite experts to come share their insights um, on topics around career, self-development, community, and lifestyle, um, And uh, that is launching in October, the first week of October. So you'll see that on my page as well, Um, again, on VeryDelphine.com. So you can follow that um, once we launch.
1: Thank you so much, Delphine. We really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your love of all things Black and all things Africa and living in shithole countries like America and surviving anyway.
0: (laughs) thanks Wanda I appreciate it no really thanks for having me on I talk a lot so I hope uh some of that resonates with your audience um yeah it's been great having this chat with you the girls
1: are gonna go up over this episode I could just see it already
0: <laughs> I hope so I hope in a I hope it sparks conversation um
1: in different ways and uh yeah well, you have yourself a very beautiful day. I'm going to link your resources in the show notes so people can. Sounds good. Get in touch with you. Sounds good. <laughs> and we wish you all the best, also with launching your new endeavor. It's about time, BTW. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've been trying. I've been trying to push. You know, it's yeah. not easy with the million and one things happening. But um, it, is
1: not. it is absolutely I think,
0: not. I think it's important. So, yes, we'll talk to you soon, Delphine. Bye!